I'm Daniel Frey and this is the Daniel Frey.me Talks, a podcast for anyone who wants to become or is already a developer. If you like to stay up to date with different technologies, learn from experts in the field and help you improve your career further, then this podcast is for you. I also invite you to follow us on DanielFrey.me. So let's begin. So we're live. Uh, hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode. So up until this point in the podcast, we have been doing uh, a lot of uh, talks around different topics. And actually, in this episode, I would like to do something different. So please join me together with Jack Harrington to talk. <laughs> Hi. Hi, thank you for having me on. And thank you for making me your inaugural interview. I think that's awesome. Yeah, and uh, for the audience today, I just want to make sure that you understand the uh, the concept. So we're going to be uh, talking to each other, uh, and I'll be featuring Jack. And as we go along, we're going to be talking about different topics uh, throughout the career of Jack. Uh, so Jack, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Sure. So I am a YouTuber. I YouTube on a channel called The Blue Collar Coder. And the idea is that we do very practical, day-to-day focused topics for practicing engineers, you know, and we cover things primarily like React, Next.js. So it's full stack. And that is complimentary to my job. I am a full stack engineer day to day. And I, I would say to this audience, my, my, the, the experience that you might be most interested in is that I was principal engineer at Walmart labs doing walmart.com and Nike doing Nike.com. Uh, for a bunch of years and help them move from, I think both were doing like kind of a monolithic jQuery slash Ember thing to react. So that was my experience doing that. And as part of that, I did a lot of talking communications and training. And that's kind of how I got into the YouTube game, which was like, Hey, I could do this for my work and talk to 20 people, or I could talk on YouTube and talk to now 140,000 people, which seems a bit more exciting. Right. So thank you so much for introducing yourself. And actually, I really like your story. So, you know, let's dive into uh, a little bit deeper to that. So you mentioned you worked in different uh, companies and, you know, in different domains. Oh, a lot of different domains. I've been doing this for a long time. I've been doing this since I was 13 years old. So now and I'm now I'm very old. So yeah, that makes a long time. My wife reminded me I've actually lost a year. She's like, you're 54. I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm 53. <laughs> As if that makes a difference. <laughs> but it's like, that's 40 years of coding. It's crazy. Wow. Yeah, that is actually crazy. It is crazy. So, but I love it. I love know- it so you keep yourself up to date with things, and uh, that's that's I guess the most important, right? Uh, as you go along with the with the years of experience. So actually, you know, it's I'm fun. curious. That's uh, what I, that that's the thing. At the end of the day, I'm people are like, why do you keep on coding? I'm like, well, why would I stop? All, every day we're seeing cool new stuff come out and every, and I'm always like, oh man, I could use, oh my gosh, I could use that and I could do this and I could do that. And I'm like, it's just great. And you know, you're talking to these awesome people and it's fun. It's problem solving. It's like having infinite Rubik's cubes ahead of you and, and they're all different <laughs> and having to solve them every day is great. 
Nice. So, you know, what I'm what I'm keen to understand uh, from your side is when you started uh, back then in when you were 13 years old and when was you what age was your first job? You remember? Actually, I was working basically for a company um, at around that age. Like there was a little computer store in a little um, kind of mall kind of thing. And I just walked in and, and was like, I just, I just hung out there. And eventually they ended up letting me build computers and uh, write code for them to like do um, you know, spec out computers and stuff for sales. And so, yeah, I was literally like coding for them. At, I think at the age of 14, the first time I got paid was 16. Uh, and then I never went to college. I was always a practicing engineer, basically. And it is kind of a unique thing, a unique trend or a unique experience. Um, and I, that's a funny thing. Like I was talking to a bunch of students over at OSU, uh, which is Oregon State, which is our local, one of our local universities, about my career and and, and, and trying to give them advice, right? Because I, I find myself really boring to talk about. I don't like hearing about what other people's journeys. I'm sorry. That's like a thing. Like, you know, it's just, you know, people are people. Um, but what's interesting to folks, I think, is like what I learned from all of that. And the thing that I, I would say I learned from starting that early was I didn't have internet. There was no internet to be had. There was no, there were no phones. You basically had books and that was it. And if you got stuck, you had to figure it out. And that is a thing that I think people don't do enough of. Because when you think about it, at its core, software engineering is literally problem solving. You you, problem, you solve a problem, you go on to the next one. You solve that problem, you go on to the next one. And by the end, you've got a feature, right? Or something, or you fix the bug, or whatever it is. And if you reach out too quickly, if you get stuck, and you reach out too quickly, and you get somebody else to problem solve for you, you're not problem solving, right? You're just letting them problem solve and learn. They get to learn, you know, whereas if you, if you give yourself, I would say if you get stuck and you give yourself 10 to 15 minutes to try and work the bug out, like just look at the error message, try and decode it, try and figure out what you changed that might've broken the system and give yourself that time to not use ChatGPT, to not like Google it necessarily, like, you know, try and or Google the error message or whatever, you know, just give yourself some time to actually try and problem solve through it. You're going to build up that problem, those problem solving muscles, and you're going to be a better engineer. And I think that's one of the things that I really want folks to take home is to, that I know there's that old thing out there of like, there are no stupid questions or reach out as quickly as you, if you get stuck, just reach out immediately. And it's like, no, actually, Give yourself some time. Give yourself some time to problem solve. Give yourself some time to work through the issues. See if you can figure it out on your own, because that's going to help you out really in the long run. I really like that approach. Uh, cool, I think, um, <laughs> it's, yeah, seems to be controversial, and I don't know why. Well, I mean, it is uh, in my if I if if I express my opinion on this, I I personally think that whenever you're stuck with a problem and that you're going to try and solve it by yourself, you're kind of triggering those uh, mechanism of problem solving in your brain. Yeah. And especially yeah. if you're getting, if you're just getting started and you're not paying attention to, to trying that out and, 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 and really diving into, you know, whatever problem it is uh, deeper, uh, as you grow as a developer, 
you're going to be finding yourself depending too much on other people um, to to help you with that. Now, there is nothing wrong with reaching out for help. So that's not the no, point. No, I think no, the but point give, is give yourself uh, a little bit of a breather there, like that 10 yeah. to 15 minutes to try and work through the issue. And then if you actually actively do that, like if you try and figure out what the error is, blah, 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 blah. Then when you talk to that person and you say, hey, I'm really I'm genuinely stuck here is. And but you get to say, here is what I've tried, right? And you show exactly. that you've got some you've got some effort invested. You got some skin in the game, and you know you're saying, you know, here's 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 some features that you don't have to do. I've already looked at this. I've already looked at that. I've already looked at this. It may be something else. And then you know, yeah. These are about one of the, if I remember correctly, when you open an issue in Stack Overflow, which a lot of people these days, uh, especially new ones, yeah, there's a template of what did you try to do and stuff like that. Uh, and, I, and I think that's the reason also why they wanted you to go ahead and try those things and, and challenge you also a little bit before you do that and waste other people's time. Because you might think that uh, the issue is big, but actually when you take that, uh, you know, 10 to 15 minutes, actually it's way smaller and it's a really small one. So um. You know, to backstory, basically to to um, to summarize what, what what we've spoken about now. So you're saying like, uh, hey, I have so many years of experience. And one of the things that I like to do is to give people tips on how, uh, you know, if they're in college or whatever, students, how can you uh, to grow up uh, as, a, as a developer? But when you started uh, your career, who... Who was your uh, kind of mentor or, you know, go to person whenever you uh, were starting out? Oh, wow. Um, I would again, it's books, right? Because that's a really all I had. And so there was and when I, I really started really getting coding when the Mac came out. And uh, so we had these these books called Inside Mac and there was five volumes of them. And wow, the level of really high quality engineering and detail put into those APIs, that was, it was like a template of like, here's, here's how the pros write code. And yeah, so it gave you something to kind of like Excel to. Um, and then there was other books like, uh, the Kerning and Richie C book design patterns, the classic gang of four design patterns, which, you know, is, still relevant in some ways, I would say, uh, certainly publish and subscribe is something that we do use day in day out, but like a lot of the other patterns are like a bit overblown. And I think we're kind of slowly moving more towards this kind of fusion of like OO and FP where it's sort of oof, like it's all, it's all of it all together, kind of mashed together, but not, not as, not as classically oop and not as classically FP. So, you know, by the way, what, what are these, um, uh, what is the abbreviation of them? Oh, I don't know. I just made that up on the flight. Oh, 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 would be object oriented programming. FP would be functional programming. And now I I think when you, when you look at, at JavaScript and the way that we use it, we're sort of using like a mishmash of both, like some of the, like map and reduce and filter and all that, that, you know, come from the FP world. We also have, you know, objects and we also have, of, you know, methods on objects and kind of mush it all together. Yeah, classes of a sort. So whenever you started out, you basically was the go-to is books because the yeah. back then the internet was not as uh, as sophisticated as it is today, especially with the world of uh, ChatGPT where you have... Uh, <laughs> yeah, but I love it. I love it so. Yeah, it is. It, it is great. And I think, you know, 
you uh someone who has a uh, 40 plus years of experience you uh you you worked hard your way uh up there uh you're now uh you know you've been a principal uh engineer in the nike uh, walmart and uh in your current job as well i'm sure that you're uh working on one of the uh, leadership positions there so it's a small company so there's not a lot of folks to lead but yeah yeah <laughs> i mean still <laughs> Yeah. So one day, hopefully, you will have more folks, and then they're going to be working on the things that you uh, you found. Exactly. Yeah. So the um, my next question would be is that you know you have produced numerous YouTube videos, Mm. um, and uh, and those have been uh, some of them got really popular. And I am what I'm curious about has really gone viral yet, though. You know, not a million would be great. I would love that. Although I have to say. I, I just realized yesterday that in the last 28 days, I got a million views. It's wow. crazy. Like to think that that's a thing that you can just like put some videos up on YouTube and a yeah. million. Wow. Can you imagine nuts. a million people in the room? Right, no, now? no, I can't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you're like, I'm literally like looking into the, you know, this, I'm like, I'm a guy randomly in my office. And next thing you know, a million views. It's nuts. So how do you decide uh, on the topics you cover and what drives your passion for sharing those? Uh... You know, it, it, that, is a, that has evolved. I think a lot of it has to do with current trends. Uh, certainly, you know, Next.js having done quite a lot of change in the last you know, couple months or so has, has triggered a lot of videos in that space. Um, but I do like to keep everything grounded in a practical engineer's day-to-day experience, right? What, what, what's going to help you become a better engineer and write better architected code that's going to be more maintainable and uh, more, more performant or whatever you're looking for. And yeah, so that, that's what I'm kind of concentrating on. But how on. do you identify the trends? Uh, you know, a lot of it is, is, is tech Twitter, Oh, and and I have a lot, bunch of RSS feeds that I keep an eye on, the things that I'm I'm looking at, and a lot of stuff actually viewers bring to me where they're they're saying, hey, can you take a look at this? Can you take a look at that? This is really interesting. But wow, it is so hard to keep up because you look around, and I, I remember I was looking at uh, uh, was it web transitions or view transitions? That's what it is, and these are. Uh, Basically, Chrome, this new yeah, thing, yeah, right? right? Oh, yeah, it's very compelling, right? And so it gives you a mobile style like uh, page navigation almost for free, honestly. Um, and you can go and upgrade it and, and put it on like specific elements and things. And I was looking at the documentation, and the documentation like linked to open props, and which is this product or not, which is a project that has like all the, basically it's like tailwind but done with css variables it's amazing and it's like it's huge it's like this amazingly huge project and it, like, where did this come from and then, then this happens every day you're looking around and you're like wow that that came out of nowhere and you know like i think shas yeah shad cn just came out and it's it's amazing and just so many projects. So it really, it is hard to keep up and it is hard to actually kind of focus on, uh, on particular things and, and decide from the plethora of topics that are out there. I will say I am right now in the process of building out a next JS course. So it'd be about 
25, 30 videos all in the kind of like 10 to 15 minute range that would get, take you through all of the new Next.js stuff, primarily focused on the app router, but still looking at the pages router through the lens of like how you would handle like a, you know, an older app because we're going to be on pages router for the older apps for a long time. Got it. All right. So, you know, we're, we, you're saying it's difficult to keep up, oh, right? Yeah. I mean, you, you have so many years of experience. Um, and, and the fact is that it is hard. Um, <laughs> yeah. but I would say whenever, whenever there is, um, you know, a new technology coming up or something in general that is new, it is always based on some principles, mm-hmm. right? So, for example, you do see a lot of repeats, new... like a lot. Yeah, the yeah. Time is a flat circle. You see a lot of the same architectural elements mm-hmm. just kind of repackaged over and over and over again. So I think um, that one 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 advice perhaps to share is that uh, focus on the principles rather on the, you know, the core mm-hmm. principles of, of the software that is being built on rather than, you know, on this new technology, because that is what's um, what it's built on top of. And then whenever you're going to dive into a new thing, you're going to be like, OK, this is these are the principles of how it's been built. And, and, and that's that's OK. Like this new thing. OK, it's just then another framework of uh of whatever it's been built on top of. So, right, but let's um, always say that's kind of tough for people to look at from the experience level of somebody like who's been in for five years or so. Like, what is that? I mean, you, you don't really have a large time horizon to compare things to. What you should look for are patterns that make your code more maintainable, easier to read, easier to extend. Uh, better factored and then what you'll find is over time those you know how to do that and how to look for that in frameworks and see oh i see what they're doing here they're making this extensible and here's how they're making it extensible in a way that makes sense you'll see that those patterns over and over and over again those are the kind of patterns that you'll see over time nice and uh, also one of the things that I've seen you covering uh, in your channel before uh, in depth was uh, about the microphone ends. Oh, yeah. Well, that was a big... And where, was driven, where do you see yourself on this now? Uh, well, it's driven primarily out of Nike and uh, actually Walmart Labs as well. So what you have in those big companies is you've got multiple engineering teams. Like when you go to Nike.com or Walmart.com, you, you're not actually going to a site written by you know, 10 people or whatever. Each part of the experience, the homepage, the search page, the product detail page, cart, checkout, all of that, order history, those are all managed by different teams. And then they have like a a CDN layer that allows you to kind of navigate, like, like kind of routes your traffic to each individual app and there's certain shared elements like the header and the footer. Uh, but otherwise, like each team kind of does their own thing and they're on their own release schedule. And that's really important for them because they want to be able to have like, oh, you know, the product detail page needs to add some new feature that gives us like shoe 3D model thing. Right. And they don't want to be blocked on checkout, not having its stuff together and being ready to go. And, uh, you know, a lot of companies do different things. They have like a release trains or whatever. What, you know, so these companies decided to go with this kind of like multi-app model. But the problem is that like sharing UI components between those different apps can get difficult. In particular, if you want 
something that's going to automatically rev as you go like when when it's released once it's released everywhere simultaneously and so what we got to at both those companies was a micro front end architecture meaning you would go and encapsulate a piece of code in a way where you could independently deploy it and then bring it into each one of these applications and then when you deploy that one micro front end it would automatically update in every one of these deployed apps and it was always a hack. It was like just such a hack, right? Um, yeah, to make it work it was just grody and nasty. I was like, ah. And the header and the footer are like the first ones that you needed this on. So it was kind of an immediate problem. And this guy, Zach Jackson, over at Lululemon, had gone and upgraded Webpack with this thing called Module Federation. And the idea was that you could take basically any piece of code in your app and say, ah, I just want this to be an available model module like out there in space. And then other applications could just go in and grab that piece of code, whatever it was, be it a rack component or helper function or whatever, or, you know, your I 18 in thing or whatever and grab that. And then they have a runtime linkage as opposed to a build time linkage, which means that should the other app that you are getting that component from update, then you would update automatically at runtime. And with great power comes great responsibility. Obviously, if that if they change the API surface without you knowing about it, you could easily blow up in production. So there, there's like kind of a lot of management stuff around this. So it's one of those things that you use with with great caution and and sparingly. If when yeah, you, you can do it. like simpler versioning if you want to, but then you lose the power of the whole uh, uh, immediate update thing. But then you could only do it then on ma um, uh, not major releases, but then meteor ones, and then you kind of get still the power of it unless there is a breaking change. Yeah, I think you can still use a micro front end idea, but use it with build time linking, which is much more predictable and reliable. Right, build time you have a you have a complete coherent artifact like when you build your app you can deploy that you can test it you make sure that every single route works smoke test works and it's not going to break in production unless like let's say the microservices break underneath or something like that right whereas with micro front ends and a run in using runtime dependencies yeah you could you know you could be drinking a beer four o'clock on a saturday and next thing you know your site's down and you're like what what i didn't deploy anything and then you know it turns out somebody else deployed something somewhere else that broke your thing didn't break their thing but your your thing broke and now you've got to figure it out which is more problem solving which is why you want to build up those problem solving skills early on because you want to be able to when when that when that happens when what's that called a sev zero which means that the site is down and it's all hands on deck Anytime, day or night, you've got to go and be able to look at the at what's coming out of the console or what's in the uh, like the 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 data dog logs, or whatever, and and figure out what happened. And you know, it's going to take ChatGPT a while to figure that out if it can. Or you know, you want to be it the can person also who can ask fix you it. guiding questions to to find out the problem, sure. though, yeah. which can yeah. help. Yeah. But you got to build it. I would say you should be able to ask yourself a lot of those questions. It's kind of like it's sort of basic stuff, right? 
when you think about a, a, a website, it's like a car, you know, like, it's, you know, there's only certain things that can be wrong with a car. It's like either the gas isn't getting the engine or the battery's dead or whatever. And you just kind of like check each one as you go. And then eventually you're like, oh, well, it's, you know, this this thing is talking to that service and that service fell over or changed its API. And that's why we're blowing up. Well, and as we're talking about um, this this whole process uh, of uh, of you uh, with uh, with you know with microfrontends and how the as a developer you should develop your skill of uh, finding errors, I want to take it to a step where you know let's say you grew you you take the average developer which grew uh, you grew up to um, becoming a senior developer um, and and now you what kind of your next thing is to become maybe a team leader. Um, so to some, to some folks out there who want to take that, uh, that, mm-hmm. that, yeah, go in more of the manager's path. Yeah. I've done that. Didn't I, I, I personally didn't find that particularly compelling, like as a, as a career path. So I more stay on the tech side and on the communication side, but, uh, yeah, I, I definitely, I certainly talk about the team lead and what, what skills you need there. And, it, and it's, it's, it actually, starts along the way of communications. And I think that's actually something that I've learned pretty early on is teaching people the value of teaching people and communicating in that by teaching someone, you actually learn it better than you would have if you just kind of learned it on your own in order to teach to someone, you really have to understand it, you know? Um, and those are the kind of skills that are going to help you go up. Well, really either chain, but in terms of the management side, certainly, you know, being able to relate to people and have that empathy and to be able to understand that it's more important that I structure what I'm teaching to how it relates to you as opposed to how it interests me and phrasing it in, in ways that other folks can understand and have that empathy, that ability to think about how another person would take what you're talking to them about. Those are the kind of skills that are going to help you as you get towards team lead, because now you're talking to project management, you're talking to product management, you're kind of becoming the, the liaison there between product and project and, and, and engineering. And that takes a lot of good communication skills and then getting up in it management as you're now you're starting to like actually manage for people in their careers and having the empathy to understand that this person is on the tech track or this person is on the management track or and and having that care to understand like this is where this person says that they want to go i'm going to go and give them work that's in that area to kind of extend where they're going to go and and that's going to be mutually beneficial you know those are the kind of things so building up those communications skills that are centered around empathy and building up that empathy that those are the skills that are really going to help you on either career path. But yeah. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) And uh, I guess uh, it's, it's been, uh, it's been also uh, on my head uh, while you were talking is how do you like, let's say you take a, let's take an example where, you know, over with, with, with the amount of experience you have around this field and things that you have seen, how, what is the best approach that you would say for um, inspiring developer uh, to push a certain technical idea that they have in the workspace? So we talked about communication, peer to peer, but then also whenever you're communicating your ideas to developers, what, what are some of the tips you can give there? I see. Um, yeah, the first is to really think about who 
you're talking to and think about what they want to get from what you're pitching them. Like, for example, if you if you want to let's say do micro front ends, right? The way that you would pitch micro front ends to other engineers is entirely different from how you would pitch micro front ends to the product manager. The product manager wants to know why, why does this matter to me? Right. You know, they want to know how can I, how is this going to help me make more money? Basically make more conversions. And you can say, Oh, okay. Well, as an example, I mean, a micro front end that we rolled out at Nike was this uh, basically related product. So Nike has this thing where they roll new shoes all the time. Oh my gosh, right? And, you know, so, and they always have like the 2024 version of the 2023 shoe and that sort of stuff. But if you go back through your order history, if you're a runner, right, you really just want, you know, I just want the 2024, whatever the 2023 was. But we didn't have that ability. So we actually had to go in and figure out from the data what all that was and then put a micro front end on it so that we could put it into the order history system so we could say, hey, you know, you bought the 2023 shoe. Here's an update. Here's the 2024 shoe. Here's some other shoes that work like that, you know, kind of thing. And I, I, I was actually kind of driver on that and I was working directly with a product manager and I had to understand her perspective, right? The people that she was talking to and her needs in terms of the numbers and the analytics and all that and be able to bridge that communications gap and that's just you know basic communication skills basically justifying it with numbers right like hey if we're gonna do this approach we're gonna gain x amount and y amount of uh, of of visitors or gains versus to what we have now and that's for product but how do you do it to developers because developers are very uh most of the time very opinionated people and convincing opinionated developers is hard um how do you do that what I like to do is I like to make sure that I understand what the goal is and then be super flexible on how we achieve that goal because that, that allows other people to have those. Cause I, it, it is so like fo- people particularly early on in their careers will focus on such amazingly granular things like, Oh, I want to use this kind of spatial index and yada, yada, yada. And as long as whatever that, whatever that is that you want to use works to achieve the bigger goal. Fine. That's fine by me. I, I, you know, here or there, or whether you want to use tabs or spaces, I don't care. Let's just go. You know, the, the end result is like, as an example, tabs versus spaces. I don't care about either. What I care about is consistency, right? That all the code base in general is the same across it so that I can go and take developer A and put them on this project and developer B and put them on that project. And it's not like being in two different wildly different, you know, zones, you know, of, of code, right? I want consistency across the board. I don't care necessarily what that consistency is. And so what that allows me to do is be able to say, okay, you know, as long as we get consistent, I can give you the win of spaces, you know, whatever that is. Got it. Makes sense on those uh, on those granular things. But what 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 would you do if you were in a position where you know you have this idea of how to solve a technical uh, problem? Like, let's say you have some kind of idea of how you can reduce the uh, the load time uh, or 
you know the just your components to to work faster let's say you want to use uh, yeah or you want to use i don't know react and these new uh, server components for example whatever what 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 is the approach there what's the business win and we start from the business win and move forward because so it's business first yeah it always has to be because they're the ones paying the bills at the end of the day and if they're not and if it doesn't make sense for them then in terms of either if we don't do this we're not gonna be able to hire new folks that is actually that, that can often be like a concern right we don't or we don't keep the code base up to date enough we're not gonna be able to hire new folks on because they're gonna be like what are you on this fossilized stuff for or rses are going to allow us to vend the pages faster or get to time to interactive faster which is you know gating for pokes actually hitting the, the the checkout button that kind of thing um and that's actually one of the reasons that i'm, I'm kind of wishy-washy actually on the whole rsc thing is that like i'm not quite sure yet who's winning on that um but you know that's another conversation <laughs> Unless you want to have that conversation right now. Um, but yeah, drive everything out of the business and that will allow you to have a good solid base so that you can go back to, you can go to engineers and say, okay, and horse trade around exactly how we want to get there. Um, but understand that like business is going to have your back because it's going to make them more money at the end of the day. And the other thing I find that really helps ugh, is POCs particularly in big companies, always run, always have something to show up with in terms of code. And, but at the end of the day, don't fall in love with that code because it might not work and they might, you know, they might be, like, I, don't, I don't need that. Um, so, and that's okay. You know, sometimes you win, sometimes you lose, sometimes you get, uh, you know, something that, I guess as an example at Nike, we did go with micro front ends, but we didn't end up going with module federation. Because we they, we wanted to do it internally, and we wanted a different level. Of it control was working already, and uh, they probably were like, "Why were well, we going to change yeah, there a bunch, was a of, bunch of things?" Like you know, they weren't like microphone like uh, module federation hadn't quite hit released yet, and things like that. So whatever, as long as we got to microphone ends, which was the business goal, how we got there, eh, it's okay. Got it. So and. Um, if if we're talking about uh, already this topic of uh, you know pushing things and communication, um, let's talk a little bit about pull requests and pull, I want to talk about reviews um, in a bit. What what is the kind of um, methodology or idea that you like to follow whenever you review a pull request, and what do you consider a good comment or a bad one? Um, yeah, that's a good question. Um. Again, the forest for the trees sort of things, right? Yeah, and, and I like one. I like my pull request really small, like that. That's critical. So I'm talking like a you know single file, couple of files. Like I don't like you know the massive. 800 file change thing unless yeah unless that's something we negotiated already where it's like okay we are going to change i don't know tabs as bases or something and we're going to do it across the whole code base or it's like an yeah like a linter change or something like that and it just requires a lot of that but i love those tiny little granular changes because then you can de-risk deployments because you know you know, what we're deploying right now is very, very small. And, you know, so we're going to keep the site really consistent and keep the uptime. Uh, so that, that helps certainly 
you know, reduce the uh, friction around PRs because when there's not a lot of code that's been changed, people don't, they don't put their heart in it. Like, like, oh, wow. Like, you know, I spent a week doing this 80 file change and now you're telling me that none of it's any good, yada, yada, yada. Right. That, that That's, that's a huge risk where if it's just like one line change and you're just, you know, changing a couple of tailwind classes or changing how you're, you know, saving this, whatever, da, 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 then it's pretty simple. It's like, oh, we, that's not the right way to do it. Do it this way kind of thing instead. Um, another thing to do when it comes to PR is, is to kind of, I have you heard of the sandwich technique? So the sandwich technique is say something nice, say something rough, and say something nice again. So it's kind of like, you know, the bread is the nice parts. So you start off with, this is a really good PR. You know, I think you, you, you're you onto something. This is a great, we need this change. And you put some good effort into it and then say, but actually we have functions that do this and this and this and this and this. We, you know, you really need to, you know, use those and not rewrite that. Da, 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 da. But as I say, really good effort on that. You know, that's what <laughs> so you're starting off on a good foot, giving him some bad news and then ending on a good foot. And that really tends to help like pad the, the feedback on a PR. Got it. So, uh, and and is this something that you follow every time strictly, or is it something that you the sandwich one? You know, honestly, I think as teams evolve, as teams get better, and as folks, if you, yeah, as teams, well, let's start there. As teams kind of grow up with each other and they get more of a, a style going, you know, you don't find there's as much contention around the PRs because it's like every, you know, you kind of like, oh yeah, that's the way we do that. It's really when you bring on somebody new and the way that you onboard folks really can impact that experience. Because if what the best thing to do when you're onboarding someone new is a couple of weeks before that, start cashing off like a bunch of, very small fix it bugs. Oh, we're going to, we need to change the text on this, whatever. The kind of stuff that an engineer working on the, on the project would do in five minutes, like, like something super simple, you know, and you have, you know, a collection of say 20 or 30 of those. And then the person comes on board and you basically just give them those. And then they get, it's great because they get that early win. They get the ability to like clone the code base, make the change, run it, make sure that it works, you know, t- deploy it to whatever their development branch or whatever, yada, yada, yada. And they get the full cycle on day one and they get to like, feel like, Oh wow, I'm, I, I'm doing something for the app on day one. I'm going to release into production on day one. Really good feeling. But at the same time, again, those PRs are going to be super granular, and it's going to allow folks, it, it, it's going to be one of those things, oh, okay, cool, good change, but the way that we do the PRs are like this. And so you get those little micro lessons that aren't the gargantuan, like, you know, you came in and tried to change 80 files and what the heck are you doing kind of thing. I mean, I, 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 you see this a lot. Folks don't have their, like, their VS code set up correctly and their, their prettier just goes crazy and ends up changing 100 files when you really just want to change like a text in one or something like that. You know, the little things like that. You get those things worked out in the beginning. And then they, as you bring them into the code review process, which is good too. So make sure that you have a couple of people bring the newbie person into the code reviews. And then they start to learn through also doing the code reviews themselves. What, what, you know, what, what a good code review looks like. 
So um, this is great information, by the way. I, I really like those tips. And I think uh, it's it's one of those tips that you you would want to keep on those uh, on your notebook uh, whenever you are uh, doing any PR reviews. Hard, hard fought lessons, my friend. Lots of lots of uh, hurts <laughs> on myself. A lot of on goals to put it in a side in soccer parlance. Talking from experience. And yeah. there is nothing much better than that. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, you know how um, one of the, one of the other things that I wanted to uh, to talk to you about is how do you keep that motivation going? Right, you you have been through so many cycles already in this whole whole development crazy thing. Um, Forty years, um, it's it's a lot. So how do you really stay motivated? Like, okay, it's exciting. Another framework came, yay! But what really drives you, Jack? So. The same thing drives me that drove me when I was 13. And that is kind of like I, I'm at my core a very insecure person. I have dyslexia and I was I never did well in school. I was always a FD student, which is, you know, bad in America. And uh, and what and then I found programming. Right. And I could make these little games for my friends and they were happy that I could make them happy with giving, with making games. And it was fun. And I, I got that really good positive feedback cycle. And so that's what gave me an interest one in, in having a really close relationship with the people who use my stuff and also making them happy by doing it. Like, making cool things that make people happy. And that's what interests me at the end of the day is I'm really, I, I, I'm enjoying myself the most when I make something that people go, Oh wow, that's cool. Like I, you know, I mean, thinking about that, that Nike thing that I did around like the, uh, the, the product recommender kind of thing. I mean, literally I used a grab bag of experience from my old science days doing like, uh, you know, and what they call a KD tree and trying to find you know, similarities and yeah, you know, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And then, so they did all the sort of magical stuff, right. To make that work. And then, you know, showed it to the product manager. who's like, Oh wow, that's really cool. And then that, that made me feel good. And I, it was enough to like, just bare bones it together, you know, and got them on board. And then, you know, as it turns out, like, Nike made a lot of money on it. So that, that made everybody happy. And uh, yeah, of course. So it, it feeds my insecurity, my base sort of insecurity. And I feel good about that. And the similar sort of thing when it comes to the YouTube videos. At the end of the day, like I want to share my experience in a very positive way. Try and show people about how to be a a really high functioning engineer. I mean, not that I'm super high functioning, but like, you know, just like, you know, get over those, those newbie. Yeah. And sharing my experience, but getting over those sort of things that newbie sort of stuff of like wanting to reach out for help too quickly. It's like, no, build yourself, build, build a self-reliance in yourself, build some confidence in your ability to problem solve. That's going to help you. And it's also going to help you if you want to go and make your own company or your own app or whatever. Right. If you can do it on your own in your own garage, Hey, go, man. Have have fun. Do, go do it. I really love that uh, you can't, you're really a, a, have self-awareness. And I think that's really important uh, as people is to come and say, what what is the thing that drives me and also why it drives me? And uh, first of all, thank you for being open and saying that. And, and I think 
um, I, I I can really uh, to to some extent relate to uh, to your let's say story because um, many times whenever I get started as a developer, I felt the imposter imposter oh, syndrome. Oh, one hundred percent, and I still feel that today. One one thousand percent. You 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 can even better advocate uh, this than me. But then, from my perspective, seeing uh, someone with uh, with so much experience as you uh, talking about uh, insecurity in in such level, it it does give you some kind of an idea. Okay, I'm not the only one who feels like that, and and that's completely fine to do that. And um, it's really interesting to hear as well what drives you um, as a person, and that is actually seeing um, the work that you did uh, to uh, to show them to other people. And, and see the feedback that they give. Um, and it can be a double-edged sword, though, because if somebody doesn't react the way you would expect them to react, it can affect your mood, it can affect your confidence. However, how do, you, how do you deal with feedback then? That is another uh, interesting thing. You know, um, you have to learn really that to d- emotionally distance yourself a little bit, you know, from the work. I, I actually found I, I did, I was working fairly, yeah, I guess, large-ish companies. And then I did my first startup back in like uh, early 2000s. And this is web 1.0 and yada, yada, yada. And man, it, it was an emotional grinder. It was, well, it was a grinder, like literally daily, like it was, you know, 10 hour days. It was just brutal. And eventually, you know, they didn't, they didn't go, they, they, they pivoted and literally threw away half, half the developers and went to another. It was a mess. It was awful. And, and I had to, I, I was really hurt by that. Like I, I ended up going to therapy and, you know, I was very, very angry. And so there were some things that, that I learned there about around, um, one, you can't control how other, what other people do to you or, or, or do around you or whatever, say to you or whatever, but you can control how you respond to it. And yeah, exactly. You know, okay. I, I see you, you've gone through this too. So that, that's really that. And, and, but I tell you what, like I, it's tough, it's tough, and, but I'm, I wouldn't have it any other way. I guess I, I can't, I don't know. I'm not, I'm just not that kind of person who could go to a nine to five job and just kind of punch in, you know, do three tickets or whatever, blah, 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 you know, and then punch out like, you know, Hey Ralph, whatever kind of thing. I, you know, I want, I want excitement. I want, I want fun. I want to, I want to work with people and be on great teams and, and have great communication and, and be able to, you know, go to a bar and drink and say, yeah, yeah, we really killed it on that one kind of thing. And, and then, you know, the, and so I have to take the good with the bad. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's uh, really, um, you know, people who love what they do, that's really what they see. Uh, the, their action speaks louder than their words. And I think that whenever you show that you're just, you're not doing just, you know, your work, you're actually thinking about how can we challenge this or what kind of feature I can develop uh, because I think it can solve a certain problem. Obviously, you're not going to have people liking that enthusiasm. Uh, not everybody's going to be loving that because you're going to be challenging them as well. And that's also a reflection of their insecurity in a way uh, whenever someone does react. Um, and whenever people do come to you and give you a certain feedback at your whatever work that you did and it, it it's not what you expected to do, 
really thinking about, okay, who is the person that gives me the feedback, first of all, and what are the valuable things that I can take from it, but not emotionally connecting to it. Because when you give feedback, firstly, a lot of people don't know how to give feedback. That's that's one thing. Then, And the second problem is that people don't know how to receive feedback. So there is also that. So it's about being self-aware of 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 what the uh of what your insecurities are and what your problems are and that's also not easy but then also being aware of where it's coming from from the other person and kind of trying to find the middle ground between I want to take what you say to me uh in a in a non-emotional and non-personal way and then also whenever uh they you're the person who gives the feedback to try to kind of consider the person's feelings and who you're talking to and i like the sandwich method because it kind of relates to that as well of how you give feedback because especially if you don't know the person like you know day to day uh and you're not like working directly together and you're giving them this feedback because you just been there in the meeting where they showed this whatever project they worked on, you have to establish uh, establish this first connection thing. And you don't never want this to be like, uh, hey, hello, and then smack in the face and, and tell them whatever the hell uh, it is that you want to say. And you need to find a structure in your, vo- in your work. Yeah, I remember that, that for me is like grounded in an actual experience. I remember when I was very early on, like in my you know early days, maybe 18, 19 sort of thing, I was also doing like tech support, you know, for, for like that was an engineer back in those days was the, you would run cables, you would run, you would do all, you'd never have everything, right. Um, set up computers, all that. And we, there was a, a secretary over, I remember in another building and she had an issue with a Mac and i was on the phone with her and I was doing, I wasn't empathizing at all. I was just like, and you know, somebody told me later that, you know, she got, I got a phone and she was crying. Like I'd made her cry, you know, by just not really empathizing. And I feel really, to this day, I feel bad about that. (laughs) And I worked on that to make sure that I could like try and relate to like, it's cool to have tech skills, right? But be relatable, be the person that people can talk to. I remember it was funny. I was, uh, I was at Nike and there was this lady there. She was doing like an internal newsletter for, I mean, these departments are huge, right? These are like, you know, whatever. Right. So then they had a newsletter for engineering for, you know, whatever. And they hired this woman. She was from NPR, NPR trained journalist. Like we, we talked together. We, I still know her to this day. She's great. We have a lot of fun because, you know, we talk about journalism and, and all that and communications and all that. And she leaned on me. She was like, okay, so I've got this, these guys over here, they did some AI stuff and I don't know what to, they, I asked them to explain what they did. And they're like, <laughs> and they gave me this thing. that's like, blah, 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 blah. All of this tech techno babble. What does any of this mean? And so I was her translator. I was literally her tech translator. I could go and read this stuff and see like, oh, they created, you know, they, they trained some model. They got 60% accuracy, which is really terrible, by the way. I mean, okay, yeah, whatever. And, <laughs> and this helps them improve warehouse, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, and, and I could translate it for her and then she could go back and ask a few follow-up questions. But and none of the techno babble ended up getting into the thing. It was funny too, because I, I was noticing that people would like a lot of engineers, they want to puff themselves up a lot in this kind of area. Like you can, you definitely can read like particular books are written in ways where it's like on purpose 
inscrutable on purpose using 25 cent words when a 10 cent word would do because they want to like puff themselves up and feel like this is the super really important thing. When in reality is it's like you went through, you filtered this, you ran a reg X on it. Like, don't, 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 don't say that you, you yeah. know, you, you changed the world <laughs> with your reg X, you know, come on, give me a break. The LDR it's for me that basically yeah, that's what you were exactly. doing, right? Yeah, exactly. But it's nice and nice being that person who people can talk to that can relate to an individual as an individual as well as on the tech side. And I think that's actually another thing that I've seen is like a lot of folks like growing up nowadays, they feel totally comfortable just being 100% clicky, geeky kind of thing and in their zone and not relating to other people in any way. When I think it's worth it's worth being a well-rounded individual, right? Like I, I know about American football. Why? I don't know. I mean, it's fun, something I can talk to, you know, if they, I've got a neighbor and they like football, I can talk to them about it or, or formula one or whatever, you know, I mean, I, I, I do woodworking. I, I, you know, you do a lot of stuff. It's okay. So it's about expanding your uh, general knowledge and be um, someone who is not only good technical wise, but then also improving their uh, tech uh, communication skills. Of course, it's not for everyone. Some people are introverts and some people are extroverts and some people are somewhere in the middle. Yeah, I think everybody's in the middle somewhere, you know. Yeah, yeah exactly. But... We like to put labels on, right. on on stuff and that's also a problem maybe. But um, generally speaking, uh, I, I really like this um, this idea. Um, I, I, something I try to do myself also when I whenever I talk uh, to people in my uh, you know in my, in my teams, I always like to get to know people more than just your colleague, but then also a little bit extra if they're open to that. And that's also it makes us work much better as well as a team, I think, because, you know, um, your personal life has also kind of affect on your day to day. And although a lot of uh, times I heard don't bring your personal life to your work, um, but then it's it's just you. Can you even do that? Uh, I don't I don't think so. It's like you must be some kind of a robot then. Uh, and people are <laughs> yeah, not robots. Yeah. And people have amazing life experiences. I mean, we 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 are working in a very intellectual skill, right? The, the, it requires a lot of intelligence. And you find that these people who are doing this, they, they're intelligent in lots of different things. And you can learn so much by just being really open-minded. And, you know, oh, wow, you go to Comic-Con, you know, and you've, you, you, know, you do all this amazing cosplay. You, know, it, it, you can learn so much, you know, and, and it's fun. It's just, these are great people extending your horizon yeah you know and don't think that you're all that like i think that that's another thing to do is all, all uh, you know don't think that you have all the right answers or that you are the best or whatever you know yada 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 be be humble and just be hu relatable human and i think a lot of folks are going to yeah, be much more amenable to to I'm just being friends with you. I, I, I gotta say, I, I have friends from all of my jobs and these are friends that I can, I, my daughter's now working at Apple park down in mountain view. And so I met, uh, I had worked at Macromedia back in the day. Macromedia became Adobe or, or got merged into Adobe, whatever. And I still had friends from Macromedia days. And I went down the road with my daughter. We met up with one of them in mountain view. And my daughter was like, you haven't talked to this lady in 20 years and you guys like hit it off. Like it had been yesterday, you know, like, like you, like you just, and it was great. It was so much fun. And that's, 
just, you know, be a regular human, nice person, and you'll, you'll make those relationships that'll last you a lifetime. I love that. I love that. Um, and it sounds like your daughter is also someone who is uh, self-aware and aware of the situation because not a lot of people would like pinpoint this type of the, uh, you know, experience because a lot of time it's like, yeah, I'm just talking to someone. But the, it's a matter of being aware of also in the moment uh, and noticing those things. And valuing the and, moment. You know, exactly. It's, it's a precious life that we live in daily and we're gifted with being able to live it, you know, so... Yeah, just live it to the best extent you can. Love that. And throughout your career, um, you know, uh, again, you worked in diverse domains and, and, and you did a lot of challenges and things. However, you know, if we're talking about current times, you know, you've probably been through the 2008 uh, crisis, mm-hmm. if I'm correct. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. No, I've been through every every one of the downturns. Yeah. So and then we're looking at the uh, current market, which is relatively competitive. There is people who are going through layoffs and, 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 and you know, uh, especially also junior developers who are just starting. It's they're even thinking if they should even continue this road because of AI. Now, I have two questions for you. We're going to start with the first one. Where do you stand on the point of uh, AI taking over developers jobs? Uh, what, what is kind of your headspace on that? Um, I did ran an interesting experiment, boy, I was coming back from Amsterdam and I wanted to do a video on comparing Next.js to React to PHP to, or Next.js to PHP really, uh, RCs. Cause everybody was like, oh man, RCs are PHP. And then I wanted to add in Rust as a, as a way to show like the kind of performance curve, right? RSC, PHP outperforms RSCs and then Rust outperforms PHP. And I haven't written Rust in, I don't know, years. So I was like, oh, this is interesting. So I literally just, without thinking about it, I just opened up ChatGPT and said, hey, make me a Rust web server that does blah, 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 blah. And I I, I spec'd it all out and all that. What I thought was a pretty good prompt. And it was, it failed hard. It was terrible. And, you know, it took me, I would say, three, four hours to kind of finally get this all together. And it was a combination of using ChatGPT and Stack Overflow and just being an engineer and just being able to like look at an error and be like, oh, okay, that kind of makes a certain amount of sense. Like, blah, and they actually kind of learning the language. And it was an interesting. And then I kind of stepped back from it after I got it working. I'm like, wow, that was an interesting experiment. Like go and literally act like someone who had no experience in Rust and then try and make something using these tools. And what it taught me was that doesn't work. Like it doesn't really, really doesn't work. Like, it, you know, unless, unless, you know, unless what you want to do is create a react to do list with, and, and that makes it look great. Why? Because ChatGPT has a ton of code that it can go to for react to do lists on, on GitHub and it can make you the ultimate react to do list. You know, of course it can. But if, if you're going for some obscure thing, like Rust isn't even that obscure and it couldn't even get that right. Um, Plus, there's the whole issue of like having a lot of older code. Like if you ask him to get the React to do list, you might get like a class based one as opposed to a function based one or whatever. Will it match modern standards? So my position is I don't think it's going to take over real good developer jobs anytime soon. I just don't. Um, And I think there are a lot of other issues like 
day-to-day development hassles that it, it hasn't even made any impact on. Like, for example, Figma to actual React tran- translation is a thing that like slows a lot of teams down and what we do all, all the time. And AI is not making any inroads there. So there's a lot of things like that. But at the same time, I, I do think it's an incredibly valuable tool. I've used Copilot literally since I, I could get early, early, early access as early as I could. And I love it, but I use it as a, as an autocomplete tool, you know, and, and it's so good for that. So it's, it's a definitely accelerant. What I see where I see people making mistakes with it is that they go and like you, <laughs> like a classic thing is like, Hey, here, I'm going to take this take home assignment you know, of what make a thing, blah, blah, blah. And I'm going to go take a bunch of different chat GPT prompts and I'm just going to smash them all together and try and make this app. And, and if it works, it's great. Done. Here's my take home assignment. When in reality, what you should do is like, no, it's just terrible. Right. You know, you look at that and it's like, there's a mix of different styles and different, you know, naming and it's just a mess and it's unmaintainable. And it's like, that is exactly what we don't want you to do with AI. What we want you to do is get get some code from ChatGPT or or Copilot or whatever what wherever you want to get it. I don't care where Stack Overflow wherever. Bring it into the code base and then refactor it. Make it match our standards. Make it you know do do it well. Use it as inspiration or maybe even helping you do some things. But don't just bring it in, smash it in, see that it works check it in, call it a day. You're going to, you're going to end up with a code base from the, the seventh layer of Hades. It's awful, you know, unmaintainable. Okay. So that was the first question. How do you, how do you rightly use AI? Will and will it take over our jobs? Was was, was, was that both the questions? Yeah, so you actually answered them. Uh, the the questions around AI you asked answered very well. And I'm actually uh, the last thing which I'm wondering uh, before we're gonna kind of summarize this is what do you um what what would be your tip for someone who is now looking for a developer job in this competitive market? How can you stand out? Imagine what they're looking for from a company like let's say that you want to go and do a there's two different i think really just two primary developer jobs out there there's like the big company one where what they want to do what they want you to do is convert open tickets into closed tickets and so that's certainly one thing that people like to do those big company jobs and then there's like the small company jobs where you're working at like a startup and they want you to be a multifaceted person, right? They want you to be able to do full stack. They want you to be able to, uh, you know, be able to twist on a dime and be, Oh, well, we we were using react. Now we're using view and you gotta be cool with that and go, 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 because that's what the company wants to do. That's what the company wants to do. And and if that's, and they're doing it because they have to, they're going to land a deal. If they can put together a view, you know, version of it, then, that's what's going to make. That's what's going to make the money. You got to do it, and so y- you want to show that you're that person, that you're open minded to new challenges, and that you have a, a robust like skill set. So I would, I, I would focus more on being a generalist and having a GitHub profile that shows that you can do lots of different things. 
And is that something that you would recommend to someone who is just starting mm, or that? I don't know. I, boy, when it comes to like how to distinguish yourself as a fully junior engineer, like you just got out of boot camp, you, you know, all you really know is react. I don't know. Like maybe have a good portfolio. Like I, I, what do you, what do you think? Like I, 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 I'm very, I find it very hard to empathize with that position. I gotta say that, that, that's kind of a blind spot for me. It's hard. Um, this, this one of the things that I like um, to, uh, to to say to juniors who are just starting and just out there is focus on being a master of something. So really being a master of nothing is not going to bring you uh, much value in the beginning. Uh, also later on, but then at least when you just started, you know, you, you learn JavaScript, you, you know, the principles of it, and then you went to react. Uh, and before even you did even the whole JavaScript thingy, you, you learned HTML and CSS. A lot of folks, even experienced ones don't know a lot of features that you have, you can oh, do yeah. in, in CSS and HTML. Oh, and by yeah. the way, CSS, wow. The amount of progress that has been mm-hmm. uh, in the recent years and, and, and the way we build stuff is, is changing every day. So it's really about just like, okay, what is going to be my ideal company, uh, as well? Cause I think now it, it, it might be wrong and a lot of pe- people might disagree with me, but I really think that. When you just started, it's easier to get into a bit those bigger companies that you were talking about just getting tickets done. It's easier to get it's easier to get started with them and establish yourself first of all is how I work in the team, how do I see I see these working in, in some kind of way. And um, just really pushing those tickets and, and kind of grasping this experience. And then whenever you feel like, okay. Now I know how this field kind of works and what it really takes to take my code on localhost to production, then take the challenge of joining this startup environment and and, 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 and smaller company vibes. There are people, by the way, I did the same. Actually, it's funny because I did the same uh, road. That's why I'm talking about it from experience. Because... It's just so different. Like uh, the expectations are different, but you're being challenges. You're being challenged daily, uh, and you're taking much more ownership on what you deliver and how you work. And that really made me. Yeah, yeah. Because that really made me a better engineer. I think. Uh, but I needed the the, the 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 easier start. I I couldn't just do it when I just came into this world and <laughs> to the world of development and just like go and say smack, go and do Node.js. Well, I just learned front end React. Um, you know, you could actually go to boot camps or whatever. I'm self taught, by the way. Me and too. Teach yourself. Yeah. Well, I mean, obviously. Yourself, huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. I. I. Yeah. I. Uh, interesting. I'm, mm, I'm, I'm marginal on the whole, like, you know, expert versus, uh, versus generalist, but in, in that'd be a great conversation to have, but I do, I do think you're right. I, I think actually the kind of do some networking, get out there to, uh, like, like react, uh, like any kind of like meetup you have, and then try and like a lot of big companies will show up there with the recruiters, you know, Hey, we have gigs at, you know, Atlassian or whatever, blah, 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 blah. And yeah, actually being maintenance engineer number 52,722 is actually a pretty good way to learn a code, you know, learn how the industry works you know, how, what a PR is, how blah, 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 blah. And it's kind of low risk because at the end of the day, like most of these things are literally fixing bugs. 
you know, you're not creating new features. Generally speaking, new features are reserved for like your mids and your seniors and your leads. Not so much leads because leads are busy, like kind of coordinating the whole chaos. But like your your seniors are, are, are like figuring out like, yeah, you know how how we're going to construct these new features. And the value of the maintenance engineer is that they keep the thing rolling while you know the the senior engineers have enough time to actually like do the real work of of putting like not not real. I'm not, that that sounds elitist, but like the like the heavy lifting of creating the new features kind of stuff. And then be be the person who would step up in the meetings like, oh, I think I can handle that. And I got to tell you, if you do that, if you like say, hey, I can do that, bust, bust it out. Because if if somebody gives you like in, in basketball parlance, if they throw you the rock, you've got to drive the lane, shoot the three and do all that. So you, you got to nail it and work your heart out to nail it. So if you don't think you can do that, don't like take the thing and say, Oh yeah, I'll do this. And then just kind of, uh, no, no. I'm like, yeah, yeah. Go ha Yes, exactly. My, just like my dad would say, don't have acid. I, I, I really like this, um, th- this approach. It has some disclaimers because it, it, it's not like, uh, you know, you're going to take on a risk of, okay, I'm not sure how to do this, but if you, f- if you fail, You learned from it, but at least you did your absolute best. And that's the thing. That's the most important thing is that you tried and you went out there and you put yourself out there. And that's how you step up from being another junior to just being a someone who actually, you know, cares about what they do and show to the other people that, hey, I'm I'm open to taking challenges on me. And I'm not just going to sit in my title or sit in my uh, whatever cube that you uh, titled me in. Yeah. But be able to do the work and you, at least if you fail, you'll be able to show your work and be like, oh, okay, you know, I, I, I move the ball here, here, here. Maybe we didn't get the whole feature or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, it, if you just like grab it, grab the feature and then just drop it all together, that's, that's when you, that's not good. You know, Jack, we actually uh, spoke a lot. Uh, and to summarize it all, we started in how how you got it into the software development and uh, your story. And then we shared some tips uh, about how you can grow your yourself uh, further. Spoke about different things and more in-depth things like micro front ends, a little bit of React we got into. And then we uh, ended up with the tips for how you can uh, get your yourself ahead uh in the market and a little bit of ai is always good so yeah i feel like uh, this has been actually a really great experiment uh um, i think and, I, can i can i offer something yeah go i ahead. think you need like a a segment at the end like a, a segment that you do with every single person on on the who comes out of the show like uh give us a one if there was one thing you could leave people with what would it be or something like that you know we on the one on the podcast that i'm on I was just about to ask you that okay <laughs> cool there you go I was just about to, there, there, there's so that, your hook right there okay so yeah. what would i um work communication skills go take take a course on public speaking or improv things like that public communication skills are underrated and are super powerful they will save your butt there we go so thank you jack with the ending uh and gonna be really important to, to remember that so 
I, okay, you can find me on uh, YouTube at the Blue Collar Coder. Uh, we will share a link to that in the yes. podcast description. And uh, yeah, I'm also on Twitter at Jaher. J-H-E-R-R, if you want to follow me there. And I usually post about my videos that are being uploaded. And uh, there you go. Thank you for having me on. Thank you for listening to the Daniel Frey.me Talks. Get access to previous episodes, the transcript for today's show, as well as other exclusive content at DanielFrey.me.